This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. Hey, today I have a wonderful interview with my friend Jeffrey Ulrich. We're going to talk about secure attachment, which seemed really important since we've been talking about ways to deal with insecure attachment to talk about what relationships are supposed to look like. Um, so I'm really excited. Jeffrey has actually uh, done research in this area um, and has worked uh, kind of in the lineage of Mary Ainsworth. And I've mentioned him on the podcast before. And we're also going to be looking at examples in the Bible of secure attachment. So I'm just very excited to jump into that. I wanted to mention his book. It's called The Six Needs of Every Child. And recently I saw someone on Facebook, uh, just like last week, uh, they had a, you know, their stack of books. And here's what I'm reading right now. One of them was an old worn dare to discipline by Dr. Dobson. You may or may not be familiar with that book, but I would say that uh, the Ulrichs have written a book that is a wonderful update. It is a resource that would be comfortable for people of faith, um, but it's also informed by attachment research and uh, Jeffrey's decades-long working with children and family uh, families. Uh, they, they both tell a lot of stories in a really vulnerable way. I really liked it, and for me, it was helpful for me to remember what's really most important when it comes to parenting. So that comes out in June, but I wanted to give a shout out, and I'll be posting about it later too, just to keep everybody aware, because I really think that the church does need attachment research. Uh, We need this part of science to help us know how to care for kids better. So I'm very excited about that. Also wanted to let you know that this podcast is actually a branch off of my podcast with my wife, D.L. Mayfield, called The Prophetic Imagination Station. We review 80s and 90s evangelical media and look for themes of dominant theology and try to understand how did evangelicals get here politically where we're at right now by looking at the past. And currently, we're doing a season on This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, a novel about spiritual warfare in a small town. Um, And it's not only us, but we're also interviewing a few people, which has been really exciting. Anyway, just wanted to keep you all up to date and very excited to jump into this interview with Jeffrey Ulrich. Today, I have my friend Jeffrey Ulrich with me uh, from New Zealand, is where he's calling in from. And I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. He and his wife, Amy, are releasing a book in June called The Six Things Kids Need. Did I get that right? Uh, the, six, the, uh, the Six Needs of Every Child. There we go. Six Needs of Every Child. <laughs> um and it is based on attachment um, and definitely from a faith uh, framework and background um, and focused on, yeah, how to, how to um, 
based on what what kids need um, and how to provide those needs in relationship with your kids. I don't know if you probably could uh, could give a better <laughs> pitch of what your book is about. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, I just I'm just so happy to be here with you, Crispin, because we've had conversations and we've connected on Twitter, and it's so great to find other attachment nerds and. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I think so many people, certain fields, of course, therapists or whatever, um, when they uh, discover attachment and uh, the research uh, that that sits in that field, which is really extensive, it's not just a theory. It's it's really a, a decades of studying how humans um, are in relationship with each other, um, intimate relationships, and obviously. That uh, for all of us, that's pretty much uh, at the top of the hierarchy of of uh, important things and things that cause trouble, cause anxiety. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the six uh, needs of every child um, really was birthed out of a desire to get good information about that wealth mm-hmm. of um, research into parents' hands. Um, with the added um, perspective of, um, uh, as believers, Amy and I, church folks, and we start our family and we're looking for resources that um, had a faith perspective. It was a big hole. Um, and uh, there is so much that um, scripture affirms about what we have understood just with our own eyes about human relationships that. I just felt, um, in particular, God prompting me to to put this book together. And Amy is she has the ability to translate the geeky, you know, the geeky language <laughs> into actual language one could understand and apply. So hopefully, people are blessed by it and, and actually, in you know, a practical sense, help. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it'd be helpful for listeners to know what your history with attachment is uh not your personal history but... <laughs> we can get into that later <laughs> right i mean that would also be helpful but uh in terms of the attachment science field yeah so um and this i'll do it alongside my face story um because they really run in parallel to each other i i grew up um a nominal christian methodist church for a brief period early in our life when my father uh, kind of really gravitated to uh, to Christian faith, um, we went to church regularly and um, that was just sort of like normal. Um, and then there was a phase where that stopped being what we did or a center, you know, centering our, our, our lives around. Uh, and that took me through adolescence, pre-adolescence, adolescence into college. So I, I viewed myself as a Christian, but really beyond going to church on Sundays and, and Easter, that didn't have much depth of meaning. Um, I, I mainly was interested in helping um, kids uh, and families. That was my interest from the beginning. Uh, went to the University of Miami. Uh, didn't like so much. I was interested in human um, psychology. Uh, people in general didn't like behaviorism and in some of the other theories they were just kind of dry to me that um, but met a researcher at the University of Miami who had worked with uh, Mary Ainsworth who 
Um, many of your listeners will be familiar with that name. She's really um, the queen of attachment, the king being uh, Bowlby. The two of them work together closely. Uh, Mary was the scientist. She's the one who brought an actual way of measuring this thing to the to the world. Uh, and, and John Bowlby was the one who mapped out a theory of love that parted from the historical view of human relationships, was, which was behaviorism. Like your kid cried because you keep giving things to him and responding to him and you're making him needy. So you need to stop responding to that cry, which is like sounds crazy to us now. Mm-hmm. But in the early 1900s, like it was all about behaviorism and reinforcement schedules. So anyway, Bowlby had this new theory. He's like, I just don't know if this fits. He'd studied war orphans, World War II in England, and he could see that children were suffering for lack of, of contact and inputs. Um, Mary developed that system, the strange situation we talk about later. Anyway, so at Miami, I met a woman who was a student of Mary's. That was really exciting. Uh, she gave me an a, a, a Atlantic Monthly article called um, Becoming Attached, which was based on a book, which is a wonderful book if people want to lay, land, uh, lay view of the land of attachments, a great resource by Robert Karen. Um, and I thought, this is my deal. Like, I'm doing attachment. This, this is cool. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, and one of the things she taught me to do was how to code a strange situation with preschool kids she had her own system of coding preschoolers most people are familiar with the infant system that Ainsworth developed Um, so that interest carried on I wanted to do that in graduate school but I took two years off and went back to Baltimore where I I was from was working residential uh, home for you know uh, children who many severe emotional disturbance and while I was there, I had a crisis of faith, which I won't get into in too much depth, but I had a, a, a um, what I describe as a born-again experience and, and really had a living, developed a living faith um, and uh, went off to graduate school with these two things now side by side. Um, I'd already decided to go to graduate school, but actually, once I got there, I thought maybe I don't need to be here. Maybe I need to do an MDiv and become, you know, pastor. Um, and God spoke to me, I feel pretty clearly. I said, no, you're exactly where I want you to be. I want you to be learning about uh, this science because the church needs needs it. I just, that was kind of a message that I felt in my bones about it. So I continued on with that. But I determined at that point that I was really going to dig and search the scriptures alongside of what I learned about attachment and see what lined up and what didn't. You know, I was agnostic in the sense of I, I, I just really wanted to know because if something's true, it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so uh, what we understand to be true theologically or biblically ought to line up with what we think is true. Uh, yeah, That's a long, but that's how we got to um, this sort of integration of uh, the science. Uh, graduate school, um, I did my dissertation on, um, uh, most people are familiar with m- measuring attachment in children, um, but a lot less research had been done on measuring the flip side of attachment. So you're attached to a person, right? A caregiver, mom, dad, or it might be somebody else as a primary caregiver. Um, 
Bowlby had talked about this sort of mirror system for that attachment system in the child, which is called the caregiving system. Uh, and that caregiving instinct, those caregiving instincts thought to essentially evolve out of our initial attachment instincts, except mm -hmm. we flip the role. It's like a script we learn in childhood. Uh, I'm the child, you're the parent, I do this, you do that. Uh, and we learn the adult side of the dance as, as well as our own side. And we become parents ourselves and we already have a preloaded <laughs> script for what now I'm supposed to do when we do our attachment stuff together. So anyway, um, there had been a there had been a coding system developed by um, a student ahead of me, and I picked that up and was tempted to replicate it um, on um, uh, a large sample from Britain of um, Romanian-born uh, refugees, essentially who had been adopted by families in England. Um, and so that's that was my that was kind of my thing from a research perspective was okay let's talk about the parents what are they doing and how does it fit with what we know the children um, need and what they're doing to get those needs met or to manage them if they're not getting met. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I did that research, moved into private practice, and ever since I've been just working with families to integrate this information into their lives. So. That's yeah, right. yeah. I I was gonna say I love that part uh, about uh, God giving that message that the church needs to hear this um, because I think that yeah that's been something that's really driven me as I've learned this stuff. I've you know it's really opened up different ways to see God and different ways to see the story of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna ask. Um, so. One thing that I wanted to I wanted to talk today a bit about secure attachment, and I feel like secure attachment uh, not not exactly gets a bad rap, but it's just like that's just the norm, that's the boring thing. Yeah, right. Um, and and I feel like we don't we don't sit around talking about like what are the characteristics of secure attachment. Right, right. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was wondering, you know. To, I wanted to hear from you, what do you think gets missed or what are the important things, uh, what are the interesting things about a secure attachment style? Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you're um, grounding this whole series um, around that. Um, it's sort of like Jesus himself. We, you know, we, we want to know where we're aiming for. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is... How, how are we, what were we made for? How is this supposed to go? Right. And, and you're exactly right. So understanding what that means, a secure attachment is presumably gives us some idea of like how this is meant to go. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to, to kind of try and lay that out for your listeners yeah. and, and for you. And, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, let, so we, should we dive into it? Yeah, that sounds right. great. All right. Uh, so I think um, the best way, people talk about attachment, I hear them talk about attachment. They don't often um, use this framework for talking about it. And I think it's really helpful. Now, I'll use this framework because, remember, uh, a lot of folks come to attachment come up from the adult side, marriages and, and adult, mm -hmm. how we're doing as adults. And I'm a kid person, so... 
and, I, and being rooted in like looking at children and what they are doing and how I'm going to describe that um, uh, really um, gives me kind of a bias <laughs> uh-huh. um, toward how I think about attachment. So I'll share with you and your listeners what that uh, what that looks like from the, the the very beginning, how we think about what's going on when we're looking at somebody and think we're seeing their attachment. So I mentioned the strain situation. Most people uh, have some familiarity with this. Probably should lay out quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's that's your your primary measurement for attachment and action, and it's most useful for children when they're really young, uh, beginning in infancy, around nine months. Um, uh, Mary Ainsworth developed a system for measuring it with infants, uh, and then others developed some systems for measuring it for kids beyond infancy from about two and a half to up to six reliably. Um, and one of my mentors in graduate school is a primary authors for one of those coding systems. And so I speak mostly in that space of like those little adults that we have, right? When they become toddlers and then they're in their early uh, primary years where they're like, they're no longer babies you're taking care of. They're like little people with the minds of their own. So they're good models for like kind of early versions of how this is supposed to go with somebody who is in a sense, you're equal. Uh, of course, they're not equal in maturity, but they do all the things that, you know, adults do, you know, um, for the most part, just not as, um, not maybe sophisticated, which is good and bad. But so um, the best uh, way to think about what's going on in that strange situation is you're stressing out the kid a little bit. Uh, the point of wanting to measure something and see differences in people is that you don't make it really stressful because mostly people are going to react in the same way. Like but I always said, bear runs, jumps into the room. We're all jumping into our parents' lap. Like that doesn't really tell mm-hmm. us anything. So it gets really interesting when you just stress it out a little bit and see what happens. Um, and then when there's no stress, what happens then? And so you're comparing those two points of no stress and stress and trying to move back and forth to situations that should be able to manage getting back to the to the other set point. And so what, what's going on there is there's two human instincts or Bulby described them as systems um, within us that operate to guide our behavior. The first system is called the exploratory system. So we have this human instinct. If we feel safe, if there's no danger on the horizon, as far as we can tell, then all human beings are going to get out on the field and start mucking around, Um, you know, figuring out what things are and what I can do with them. (laughs) Who and so which really gets to who am I in this world? Like. What are my abilities? What are my interests? Um, How can I control things, you know, cause and effect? Um, This is one of the beautiful things about being human. It's one of the beautiful things about a parent and seeing your kids just sort of like get out there and become interested in things. And that's the exploratory system. Um, There's another system called the social system, which is a kind of exploratory system. That's exploring people. So that's a part of it too. It's like getting to know the social world as well as the physical world. 
So that happens naturally, and it's just going to turn on when pe- for people. We're going to do our thing in different realms when we feel safe. And then there's the what's called the proximity-seeking behavioral system. And this is what people mostly associate with attachment or the attachment system. And that's what happens when we're suddenly distressed. So something in our environment has signaled um, danger uh, or distress, threat in some way, broadly speaking. And of course, when you're an infant or a little guy, it doesn't take much to take you off, you know, take you out from, you know, from the perspective of survival. So threats don't have to be big for you to be like, I'm out of here. I'm done playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, that system works to move uh, the kid back to uh, the person who's supposed to be in charge of watching over them and protecting them from those, those threats. And so most folks are familiar with that. So that's what's happening in Stranger. You're looking at a child navigate moving in and out of those two states with their caregiver and seeing what it, what it looks like, how, the, how they dance together. And so in secure attachments, the big picture, you know, basically bottom line is there's this smooth and, and generally efficient flow back and forth from, oh, I'm good. It's okay now. I'm going back to, the, I'm getting back on the field to, up. Oh, something's wrong. Something's not right. Uh, I need you to help me with that. And that happens. You're there for me. Uh, you help me figure it out with words or not with words. And, you know, often it's mostly not with words, but words mm-hmm. become a part of that, an important part of that over time. And it works. In a secure relationship, um, that kid were free to move in and out of exploration and mastery and back toward um, distress and working our way through it. And in non-secure patterns, basically, you get stuck on one side or the other. So uh, we don't focus on it, but the long and the short, the two primary alt-insecure patterns are avoidance, anxious, anxious, avoidance, anxious, ambivalence. For those avoidance kids, they get stuck in explore mode. It's like the door's not open to come back if there's distress. They're on their own with that, and they got to sort that out. And the message, mm-hmm. explicit or otherwise, is that's your job. If a bear comes in the room, I'll make it my job. But unless there's a bear in the room, that's your job. You're on your own. And the flip with anxious ambivalent is... Uh, Pretty much you should always be distressed. We're really not sure whether you're safe and should feel safe. And so the door is kind of closed to you moving away and and demonstrating that autonomy and just going out and doing your thing. It's sort of like, do you really want to move back out there? Are you sure you want to? I'm not so sure. And so there's this, that's the ambivalence part. There's this push and pull about wanting to move away. So with security, it's really about flowing through those states Um, and the parent is the one who from day one uh, mostly non-verbally even we use our words with our infants but they don't know what they mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're almost self-talking really to describe what's going on oh our baby's crying you're you know you haven't eaten and 
you're hungry. Don't worry, mama's going to get it. And you take the time and you do the rocking and you're doing this talking and all that tone and language um, is uh, priming the kid that it's going to be all right. We're going to get through this together. Uh, and then if you're good, we're just, I'll explore with you. I'll follow your lead. If you want me to be there playing, I'll be there. If you want to do your own thing, that's cool too. Um, and so that's really um, the core of a secure relationship. And we can get into more details about what's going on for secure mm-hmm. dyads, uh, but that's the big picture. Yeah, that's great. What are the mechanics of what's going on? There's a lot that we, so secure um, in, the, in the safe zone, in the safe state. So there's no dangers. There's no signaling that there's danger either from the environment or from each other. We're just in a room by ourselves playing. Um, you can't always tell a whole lot from one type of kid or dyad from another. Um, uh, it, it doesn't differentiate really well, although there are certain things that tend to pop up. Um, with secure dyads. Uh, Some of those things are that play is really collaborative and follows the kid's lead. So it's just Mm -hmm. secure dyads, uh, secure parents aren't making it about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your play is for you. There may be Mm -hmm. times where I need to take a lead, but uh, in a neutral situation when we're just hanging out, we're at the park, the playground, it's not about me. (laughs) So mm-hmm. do your thing. And if you need any help, I'm glad to be there and support you. Um, and so, but I'm not going to take over. I'm not going to control it. Um, in, in our book, um, this, this corresponds to the two needs, the two first needs, which are delight and support. So what mm-hmm. kids really need and what you see in secure relationship is um, uh, you see it in the parent and it gets internalized in the kid is, Uh, my mom or dad thinks I'm the bomb. Like they just, Mm -hmm. they're tickled by me. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Even when we're, I'm doing something that's not really their jive, (laughs) they find (laughs) some pleasure in it. Um, There, there isn't a lot of performative, there isn't energy wasted or performing. Mm. Um, I'm allowed to be who I am, even if that's different than you. Um, and that comes from delight. And we show delight in pretty subtle ways. It's not like cheerleading per se. It's really just a countenance that says, uh, I see you. And that's the first part is just we actually notice. And two, what I see is it's it's good. You know, it's it's God in the beginning of creation looking at what is at creation and saying, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I feel the tickleness of God like this is good. <laughs> and uh-huh. so that's delight. And that's what you see in secure relationships in that sort of relaxed mode. And then support um, has to do with not just not taking over. Um, um, our folks who are developmental uh, teachers will probably be no, 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 uh, familiar with the zone of proximal development, which is a developmental concept where uh, for teachers, you want to keep them, your students challenged um, but not so hard that they get frustrated and give up. Um, and that, that's that zone that you want for them. And it's similar in our parenting where we want to follow their lead um, and step in when it looks like it's just under your level that you can handle on your own. You say, hey, let me show you. It looks like you're struggling there, buddy. Let me show you how you could do that differently. 
Uh, and some of our kids and our personality be like, no, I'm doing it myself. And secure parents are like, okay, bud, you do it yourself. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And then we'll process right. it when it goes badly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or uh, some kids' personalities are happy for us to be right there with them all the time. Yeah, yeah, show me what, you know, what next? What do I do next? And we're like, all right, let me show you what you do next. And then we hand it back to them. So that's what security looks like on the top side. On yeah. the bottom side, it's really about two other needs, which we talk about in our book, which are comfort and equipping. And those have to do with, um, it, it, we talk about delight and comfort as actually two, uh, uh, having a shared component, and we call them mirror, mirroring needs. Uh, they're affective needs, um, and they really have to, both of them, just on different sides of that, that state, have to do with, I see you, and I, I'm not, I don't have any urgency to change you. I'm going to see you and sit with you. And, and absorb this moment with you. Now, on the bottom side, we're in a distressed state where there's danger or threat or something is unraveling. It's being able to come in and, and just reflect back that energy <laughs> like a mirror. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a kid, a book a long time, a happiest uh, toddler on the block, which Amy loved. She had read. I hadn't, but part of it had said, when your kid is mad, you turn and you look at them and you say, it was scrunched up face, you're so mad. And that's a good example at that level of like just mirroring, like I'm not trying to control it. I'm just letting you know what I see and that's okay. Like you're allowed. I got a mm -hmm. name for that and this is what we call it and I see it. Um, and then uh, to the extent that our kid just doesn't want to be in that place, whatever the emotion is, we 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 don't just ramp it up. We intuitively know how to bring it down, uh, and and it, mostly that's non-verbal. Uh, that's our body language, our tone of voice. We slow down. It's okay, baby. Okay, okay, all right. You're really upset. I can see that. And so, it's comfort is really about just I see you communicating. I see you marrying that back. And getting us to a point where we could sort this out, make sense of it together. And equipping is that stage. So we move from, okay, okay, I see you're upset. Um, it's going to be okay to what's going on. So what happened? Oh, mommy left and you didn't like that. To go back to the strange situation. Uh, secure parents aren't afraid to talk about what happened. <laughs> Yep, mm -hmm. I left and you did not like that. Um, I'm the bad guy in this scenario and, I, and I, I'm, I'm able to talk about you feel like, why did you do that to me? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to be defensive about it. I have an explanation. You may or may not accept that or like that. So you see in those strange situations, why did you leave? And the focus isn't on an explanation. It's like, I can see that really upset you. Mommy had to go. She just had to go to the bathroom. I'm back now. And this is what's going to happen, you know, now that we're back together. Um, so helping your kid for equipping, make sense of the world, what's going on, what, what can I expect moving on from here? Because what that does is it clears out, it, it gives them some sense of, can I rest again? Can I, can I allow myself to calm down and feel like it is going to be okay so I can move back into explore state. 
And so, so secure parents facilitate that transition and are happy for their kid to go, I'm okay now. All right. All right. And then, and they naturally, you know, they don't want to, most kids don't want to stay stuck, distressed. Most of us grownups either don't. <laughs> we've, we've found different ways to manage our distress, often out of non-secure histories, right? But in a secure relationship, um, you learn that you can expect other caring human beings to help you carry you through to that other side. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's what's going on. That's a really great picture of those dynamics. And I wondered, I want to talk about what this, you doing this research and wrapping your head around secure attachment, what that's taught you about relationship with God but before we move there, I wondered if there's anything else that you feel like is really important to understand about secure attachment that gets missed. No, I think those those are the, 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 the biggies. It's not, there's no formula to it, but there are some components that are identifiable. And we want to help folks recognize um, where you might be at. Uh, we use a metaphor of a compass, like, because life is a journey. It, it's, you know, a secure attachment is not about things are always going well. <laughs> In fact, mm-hmm. um, uh, things are often not going very well. We're, we, are, we are setting each other off all the time. And that's, it's not secure couples, secure people don't not get into fights, don't not get their feelings hurt, don't get dysregulated. Like, that's not what security is about. It's about, oh, when those things happen, how do you move through it? Uh, in particular, how do you move through it with other people? Do you withdraw and take care of it yourself, a la an anxious avoidant history? Or do you dig super deep with your attachment figures trying to like get some um, gold affirmation assurance that we are we are okay now <laughs> we're absolutely 100 percent sure i can i can move away now are you sure right. <laughs> um, and you're stuck there um and so uh, in fact actually this is probably helpful helpful to clients i think it causes stress or just your listeners for people when they go oh am i secure is my kid secure are they avoidant? You know, which category mm-hmm. are they in? And I, I, we have to remember, categories are useful for research and and, and, and doing uh, essentially some things in terms of um, correlations and uh, differentiating between groups of people and trying to understand things because you're able to do that. But attachment doesn't actually exist in... in such clean, discrete categories. It's actually, there's a continuum um, and a scale. And in fact, when we, 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 when we um, rate children, uh, their attachment system in the strain situation, we, we actually, there's a lot of little shades. <laughs> there's B, the secure category of children get coded B1, B2, B3, B4, B5. <laughs> <laughs> and then you move up to C, C1, C2. So, and each shade looks a little bit closer to the next one down the line, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, we move up and down that scale. Um, 
certain events or stressors can make us more anxious, less secure. And then we move back to our kind of default setting. And that's why early relationships are so important. It's, it's, it's like they, they give us a set point to work off of. And then future relationships, including probably relationship with God, move that set or have the potential to move that set point. So I know you've talked about, people talk about therapists in particular, earn secure status. And that has to do with you're moving that default set point toward more toward that B, what we call the B range when mm-hmm. uh, coding kids. Um, but you're probably still going to be, you know, there are going to be times when you're leaning back in that old direction toward avoidance or ambivalence or what are other things that were more primary at earlier down the line. Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind and especially because, yeah, you get looking at these these things and it can be crazy making to try to categorize yourself. Yeah, stay away from it. It, it, it causes uh-huh. more stress than help. And I think, you know, a lot, you know, the personality typing and things like that have, there's an appeal to what's my, what's my category? What's my type? Uh-huh. Who are my tribe? Um, and there's some, it can be helpful in certain ways, getting a rough idea of what's natural for us, but yeah, we're just, we all want to be, you know, transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's a lifeline lifetime work. And we should be patient with ourselves and, and desire, um, uh, a little bit closer to a healthy version of myself every Every year, let's not say even every day. <laughs> it's just okay. this year. I think I'm a little healthier version of myself than last year. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so then, looking at this for you, you said that you were uh, doing the research alongside looking at scripture and and understanding more about God. What are some of the things that um, you feel like have been most significant for you in doing this research and and what you've understood about God? Well, probably the poster child um, for secure attachment in Scripture is David, and I think I think we've all heard, uh, or most of us probably have heard early on uh, or along the way, like this appeal to David. Look at his relationship with God; it's so open-hearted. And I think a lot of that has to do with personality, and it, it's important to recognize that. Uh, yeah maybe staying the obvious, obvious, but a lot of how we function in life has to do with personality or temperament. And that is mm-hmm. separate, although it's a companion to attachment. But it's also important to know that we we have certain temperaments. We might be shy, introverted, extroverted, and these interplay with attachment. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes when we're looking at scripture, I think that's a good lens. Like, am I looking at personality or am I looking at attachment? <clears throat> Paul, uh, um, Peter's another good example. There's a lot of temp- temperamental impulsivity and, you know, uh-huh. ADHD probably. <laughs> um, and it's lovely, you know, especially if you can relate to that impulsivity. Um, but, um, there probably are some attachment things there too, but David, uh, but, but David in particular, because he's left us such a treasure house of conversations with God and his Psalms, we're, we're, we're a strong, um, you know, source text for looking at attachment. Um, and you really do see secure components. First of all, being that, um, well, I'll start with the bottom side of that circle, that two-state dance, the exploration and proximity seeking. 
So on the proximity seeking thing, you see uh, David having no trouble uh, letting God know when something is going wrong or he's distressed or upset. There's no avoidance of God um, uh, in, in, in at least the moments where we capture him really struggling and wrestling. I think there were uh, there were moments of avoidance of God when he was doing things that he knew on some level that God wouldn't be happy about. He was just laying low, <laughs> doing what he wanted to do, right, um, with Bathsheba, for instance. Um, but when he gets called out on it, right, in Psalm 55, you, you he's just, he trusts in a God to meet him, even in the worst of circumstances, Um at a deep level, obviously, uh, David trusts God to handle um, his emotional template, including being angry at God, um, in, including obviously uh, being afraid, um, distressed in all of its its forms, and also the flip side, which is the the, the victories and the joys. Um, so that's a key component where you say, okay, that's good to see, and God. You know, we uh, we have affirmation um, to look at David in Scripture directly. Um, look at David and, and his relationship with God is something that we are pointing to outside of David's interactions in the Psalms. So I think that's an important thing where we go, I need to take this seriously as a scientist. This is pointing to me how this is supposed to go with God. And then the upside is that you see the exploratory side. You just see David uh, going to God to be my strong arm, <laughs> you know, in that language of, um, uh, you know, and sometimes it's like you feel, oh, geez, David, you're a little cocky there. Um, you, you think you have God on your side. <laughs> uh-huh. Are you sure about that? Um, but I think that's reflective of a secure relationship where like you believe on some level, no matter how badly you might screw up and get called out on it, God delights in you. He is going to be for you, whatever you think the thing is. Uh, right. And and that's huge. It's not about I'm only doing exactly what God told me to do today, like a robot. Um, and, I, and this is where I also go. And look at particularly uh, uh, in the gospel um, where you do not see a God in the form of Jesus being a controlling divine force. He is mm-hmm. giving us choices and options and saying, well, this uh, if you do that, that's your choice. Um, and of course, when he gives the prodigal son story, speaking directly towards sort of the the religious view of the day, which is that uh, you should only be in God's favor if you are following all the rules, doing what you have been told to do, how to act. And it's really an offense to them that when the son wants to go off and explore in his own way and, and, and ends up in ways that are truly offensive to the, to the legal code, um, that should be it. He should be done. Um, but God doesn't question it. He says, Go. Um, and he's worried about him, <laughs> obviously. So it's not like he's go, he doesn't care, right? right? That would be neglect, um, right. which is a different security profile, which you could talk about it another point. So he's invested, he's emotionally invested in the prodigal son's exploration, but he is not going to go run down the road 
and fret over him and say, you, do you really want to get in the pigsty? You know, that, you know, that's no good. You know, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> He's going to wait and see how this plays out and wait for the son to want his input, if you will, to, to respond to what his exploration has gotten. Of course he comes back in distress. Um, so, um, so I've gotten tangential a little bit there, but in terms of that security, when I look at scripture, what I was, what I focus on is evidence of a non-controlling God, because that's a, and, and a delighting God. Um, uh, probably one of my keystone uh, uh, um, scriptures uh, is it Zephaniah three sixteen, or I forget the exact verse, but God declaring He will delight over. Us, and he's speaking of the nation Israel at that point, and dance over you with singing. And I think, like, we have to grapple with, especially if we've come from certain evangelical or reformed traditions, that a declaration that God isn't de- delighted, delighted in us, mm. full stop, uh, regardless of what we are doing right or wrong today. Um, he is for us, not against us at all times. Or in Paul's words, there's nothing that stands between me uh, and God. Uh, and, and through the work of Jesus in regards to our sin, that's not, that's, that, doesn't, that isn't irrelevant to our conversation with God. But it often gets framed of like, well, it's either delight or acceptance in some legalistic sense. Um, and I just, I believe that God delights in us mm-hmm. full stop. Uh, and he also wants um, uh, health for us thriving. And that's going to require some choices that uh-huh. he's going to let us make. <laughs> uh-huh. And when we don't make them, there'll be a reckoning for those choices. But it's not going to be, you know, you have to earn back my delight mm-hmm. before we reckon those choices. And you see that, I think you see that in that prodigal father story where that unmerited, over-the-top love and acceptance, you know, without any accounting mm-hmm. for his bad behavior, Right. Yeah. <laughs> first of all. So, yeah, uh, I think those are the things that I've really um, resounded with me uh, that fit with what I see and understand about security yeah. and human relationships. And and And, and look... What does that do for us uh, in human relationships? That secure stance where I can screw up, be a, 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 a bloody emotional mess, work my way through it with you, and on, and on the other side of it, get to a place of delight, not just I'm putting up with you. Now just go back out there and don't do this again. Um, the freedom, one, the freedom that that engenders in us to live full, fully human lives and, um, and to uh, be able, despite our screw-ups and our fractures and our disconnections, um, not be hindered in going out and discovering the wonder of what we, you know, this version of humanity was made to do, not just for my own satisfaction, but uh, uh to the glory of God in service of others, because, you know, ultimately what we're doing when we go into exploration, there's a, there's a fruit to that. Right. And Jesus talks about, you'll know them by their fruit. How do we get fruitful lives? 
And I think it comes from that freedom of confidence, like God delights in me. He is for me, not against me. I can get back on the field and I'm probably going to screw up and get disconnected again. But I've got a path through that. Um, I don't need to beat myself up to. I can go to the one who I need to repair with and it's going to get repaired. And back I go out into the world, discovering, mastering and hopefully to the glory of God. So. I love that part. Uh, you were talking earlier about how uh, secure dyads are collaborative. And it seems like you're getting at that with God as well. I think in certain traditions, there's been this like authoritarian God that tells you exactly what to do. And if you're falling in line, then, then you're good. And if you're outside that line, then you're not. And this sounds a little bit more flexible. Well, even when you know, like Paul's referencing us co-laboring with God, I think having been in some of those more hierarchical legalistic traditions in my faith journey, like I always felt like sort of like there's a, like a, yeah, but we don't need to go too far with that co-laboring bit. You know, I even remember a sermon where it, the, 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 the parallel was like, oh, some story about a kid who is mentally disabled and giving a speech and somebody was handing him cue cards. And that's sort of how like it is with God in us. Like we're mentally disabled and God is mm. sort of putting up with our limitations so that we can feel like we're part of something bigger. And I just don't oh buy it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think I'm equal to God in any way. And I don't think this is what we're talking about or Paul is talking about when he talks about co-laboring um, with God. Um, not at all, but there is a force to be unleashed in the world that is of God, but it is through us. It's harder to get there when we're held back by these insecure modes of relating to one another and with God. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about secure attachment and I feel like I could talk all day long. I hope I haven't talked too much. Oh no, not at all. And yeah, I was going to say, you know, we could nerd out all day long whenever we, you know, have our, our phone calls. It's always, I'm just, you know, really impressed by the wealth of knowledge that you are, which is because you're, you've really been at ground zero for some of this research. So. Well, look, anytime you want me back, I am happy to have more nerd out conversation. (laughs) All right. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Jeffrey. All right. Take care. This is an area code podcast.